My name is Greg Kodrowski, and this is my podcast, Theology 101. I like to study the Bible, and I don't think the Bible is really that difficult to understand. For the most part, it's really pretty simple, and simple is better. So if you're like me, and you want to know more about the Bible, or if you just want to hear more about the Bible, stick around. And if you want to know more about me or check out my pedigree, Google me or visit my website, theology101.net. Hey, thanks for coming back for more. We are uh, studying the goals of evangelism. And studying the goals of evangelism, we kind of got ourselves out in some deep weeds with uh, the Great Commission. So we're going we're gonna to walk around in those deep weeds just a little bit longer, and then we're going to take a look at the, uh, at the two specific goals that God has given us in the Great Commission and, and in evangelism, the goals of go and preach, go and preach. But we need to, we need to talk a, a little bit more about this idea of the Great Commission and uh, the Great Commission being for us, and how is it the Great Commission's for us, and, and how does that apply to us? What's, what's, what's our context, and what's, what's going on with all of this? What we saw in our last episode, what we saw in our last study was, you know, the salvation that we have is a salvation that was provided through the New Covenant, what, what's also coined as the New Testament in the Bible. A testament is a covenant that's uh, ratified at the death of the testator, okay? So every testament's a covenant, not every covenant's a testament, because there's covenants that's made with, uh, with people that have nothing to do with death, okay? So don't get tripped up on on terminology, don't get tripped up on, hey, is this the New Covenant? Is this the New Testament? It's the same thing, okay? So the salvation that we have, according to Acts chapter 28, verse 28, is the salvation that God offered to Israel under the under the New Covenant in Christ's blood. And we know, as I mean, if you've studied anything on the covenants in Scripture, you know that covenants, the major covenants that God has made with man, are basically God's legal dispensation of a responsibility. It is God uses the covenants in the Bible to dispense a responsibility and the authority to carry out that responsibility to a steward. And so as God charges that steward and says, hey, I want you to do this, and I'm going to give you the authority so that you can accomplish this, that is done legally through this mechanism of the covenant. And so when we see the new covenant, and it's promised in Jeremiah 31, verses 31 to 34, that's it's that's the, the, the full mention passage where we kind of get our springboard to go out to other passages to talk about the new covenant. When we look at that new covenant and how it's announced, it becomes effective when Christ dies. The new covenant becomes into effect when Christ he dies, he rises again. However, it, it doesn't come into full completion until the second coming of Jesus Christ, after those days. After those days of the tribulation, then all Israel will be saved, Romans eleven twenty six and 27, under the new covenant that's, uh, that's promised in Jeremiah 31, and the conditions to get into that new covenant, of course, form part of the Palestinian covenant, Deuteronomy 30, which is another passage that we need to really, really study out. I think we should probably spend about 18 different podcasts uh, studying the Palestinian covenant. It's so important. But for our purposes here today, I want to continue with this idea of the, the stewardship of the new covenant, because we're Christians, we live in the church age, and we have received the salvation, Acts uh, 28, 28, the salvation that God provided through this new covenant. It's the what we got, our salvation, forgiveness of sins, and the regeneration of the Spirit, new life, okay? So we receive that through 
Jesus Christ. It's a provision of the new, new covenant. We did not receive the new covenant. The covenant's made with Israel, Israel only. We get a part of the covenant to make Israel jealous. Well, because we have received the salvation that was made and provided through the new covenant, we have also received the principal and primary responsibility of the stewardship that comes with the new covenant. Okay? So the new covenant has this stewardship. Now, the stewardship, just like the covenant, is for Israel. Now, there's also some secondary stewardship elements that, that, that'll have to do with the Gentiles. We'll talk on talk about that here in just a minute. And that's a, that's a whole nother field of deep weeds we could get into. But to understand that we have received the Great Commission at the end of the Gospels, first part of Acts, that Great Commission, in its, in its general sense, we have received the Great Commission. It's because that's the provision God gave for us in our salvation. That's what God wants with respect to the new covenant. Okay, okay let, me, let me say it this way. Because of what we see at the end of the Gospels in those passages about the Great Commission, what we see at the beginning of the book of Acts in Acts chapter 1-8, we know that God has charged the participants of the salvation, the people who participate in the salvation of the new covenant, he has charged them with a responsibility. So we see the followers of Jesus Christ at the end of the Gospels, the beginning of the book of Acts, there's 120 of them. We see them receive this responsibility, okay? They're the ones who have received Jesus Christ as, as Lord, Savior, as the fulfillment of the Davidic covenant, as the fulfillment of all the Messianic promises. He is God in the flesh. He is the Messiah. There's nowhere else. And there's no one else. He's it, okay? And so with that belief then comes this responsibility. Jesus Christ, he tells him, hey, because you guys have received me as the fulfillment of the promises that have come through the covenants, okay, all these covenants of promise given to Israel, the Abrahamic covenant, the Mosaic covenant, all, all the covenants, Davidic covenant, new covenant, he says, look, here's the responsibility I'm giving you. I want you to take the message of the salvation in the new covenant out to all the world, okay? And so, God wants, this is God's expectation, God wants all of those who participate in the new covenant, he wants them, expects them, us, to take the message of salvation, the salvation provided through the new covenant, out to the world. Okay, so the Great Commission, what we call the Great Commission, is simply the principal and primary responsibility of the stewardship that God has given to those who participate in some way in the Great Commission or in the in the new in the New Covenant. So that's the Great Commission. And that's what we see in Romans 10, 13 to 17. That's why we spent so much time going over and over and over and over that passage in Romans 10, verses 13 to 17. Why? Because in the Great Commission, we see the Lord's charge to his followers, go and preach, go and preach the gospel, go and preach the gospel. And Paul repeats that. He's at Romans 10, 13 to 17. He says, you know, those who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Well, how are they going to call upon him unless they believe? And how are they going to believe unless they hear? And how are they going to hear unless they preach? And how are they going to preach unless they're sent? So we see the same thing. Go and preach. Go and preach. We are sent by the Lord Jesus Christ. We need to obey and go. And when we go, once we get there, we're not playing hug-a-thug, okay? We are not out there to, 
to, you know, give out bottles of water and, and barbecue for the, uh, for the poor lost sinners. You know, if you want to do that, that's great, but use it as a springboard to preach the gospel, okay? Uh, I'm not in any way opposed to doing good works as a springboard uh, to the gospel. When I was in Costa Rica, we built a, an entire house for a, uh, a poor lady and her, her family because she didn't have anything and bedridden, and, and it was a mess. So we built her a house and then invited the entire community to, to have lunch as a celebration of, you know, hey, look what, what God did, and we preached the gospel to them. So I'm not, I'm not saying we shouldn't give out bottles of water, we shouldn't barbecue, but when we do that, it has to be a springboard for the gospel, for the preaching of the gospel. And so that's kind of our our biblical theology of the new covenant. There's a whole lot more that we need to develop in that context. Um, but with our responsibility in this part of the new covenant that we have received, the salvation, we need to understand that our responsibility is the Great Commission. That's the primary responsibility of those who participate in the uh, in the new covenant, because that's the stewardship that comes with the new covenant. Okay, so with that. We're going to pick up our study here, and we're going to talk just a little bit more about the Great Commission, okay? We're going to talk a little bit more about the Great Commission to kind of tie this up and tie up some loose ends, and then we're going to dive into uh, Go and Preach. We're going to talk about those two goals very specifically. Now, I've said it several times, and I'm I'm probably going to continue to repeat it. Uh, we did not receive the new covenant. We need to understand that. This new covenant, you know, if I say we participate in the new covenant, we participate in the salvation of the new covenant, God made that new covenant with Israel and Israel only. And so all we all we have with regard to the new covenant, the New Testament, is that we receive a part, and the part that we receive is the salvation. We receive the forgiveness of sins and the new birth, which is the regeneration by the uh, the Holy Spirit of God. So that new covenant and the great commission in, in its context, in its original context. Now, here it comes. I'm going to say it, and let me explain myself before you hit the off button. Um, it has a very strict Jewish-Hebrew context, okay? Here's the problem. The problem is anachronisms. The problem is the anachronistic error that that is committed daily uh, daily by the vast majority of Christians and they take the teachings of Paul and the epistles of Paul and they read them back into the great commission that is an anachronistic error it's an anachronism it's out of chronological context and as we look at the bible our bible is not some conglomeration of religious sayings okay the quran is that way there's other religious books that are that way our book is given to us by god with a very specific chronological context the bible was given in progressive chunks it's called progressive revelation you know like the five books of moses bam there we got the five books of moses one big chunk before moses wrote job wrote his his book Okay, or Job wrote, well, I think it was Elihu that wrote about Job, but Job was written. And so throughout the, the course of history, chronologically, we have these, these, uh, these, these time periods where God gave a chunk, a new chunk of revelation, progressive revelation. And so 
God gave us doctrine. God gave us our religious sayings. He gave us our doctrine, our teaching, what he wanted us to know and understand in the context of chronology and historical development. Okay, so when we get to the Great Commission, folks, you cannot read back into the Great Commission what God gave in later revelation. You see, in the historical context of the Great Commission, nobody knows anything about the body of Christ. It's still a mystery. It's still a hidden mystery until Paul gets saved in in Acts chapter 9, and God gives him the specific revelation of the body of Christ, the church among the Gentiles. You need to read Ephesians 3 and Galatians 1. I mean, that's, that's basic. Look, we're talking theology 101 here. That's basic. Context. And you cannot establish the context until you take into account progressive revelation. You can't take into account progressive revelation until you understand that the book is, the Bible itself is is doctrine couched in history, okay? And so when we talk about context, we need to talk about cumulative context and not commit anachronistic errors. When you hit the end of the Gospels and the beginning of Acts, when when Jesus Christ gives the Great Commission to his his followers, what's the context? The context is not God starting the church. Seriously. Just read the Bible. Let the Bible speak authoritatively. It's the Word of God. God spoke in language that's easy to understand. Read the Bible. Paul says in Ephesians 3 that he received the the revelation of the, the church, the body of Christ. God did not reveal that before. So when these disciples, when they received the Great Commission, the Great Commission in its original context had a very strict Hebrew application. Okay, the, the, the plan of God, God's plan as revealed in the Old Testament, always indicated that God would save the Gentiles. God always had a plan for the Gentiles, and we'll get into this later on when we talk about, when we start talking about some uh, soteriology of the Gentiles. Uh, we find tons of material about the soteriology of the Gentiles in the first chapters of the book of Genesis and in the book of Job. I mean, there's a ton there, all the way up to Acts chapter 17, 30, and 31. But, but when we talk about God's plan for the salvation of the Gentiles in general through, through the revelation he gave to the, the nation of Israel, God established the nation of Israel as the head of the nations. And God's chosen people, Israel, the physical descendants of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, who was called Israel, the 12 kids of Jacob, the, the 12 tribes, that's Israel. The church is not Israel. We did not replace Israel. We are not spiritual Israel. Stop the foolishness, okay? Stop the silliness. Just believe the Bible and what it says. God established Israel as the head of the nations. And so Israel is the head of the nations with Jesus Christ being the king. He is the king, the son of David, who sits upon the throne of David. It's an eternal throne in Jerusalem. And he reigns over the world through Israel. God divided Israel into 12 tribes because he divided the nations, the Gentile nations, into 12 divisions according to the tribes of Israel so that each tribe could reign over a division of the Gentiles. The Gentiles get to Jesus Christ, if we could say it that way, through Israel. You see that all over the Old Testament, especially in the prophets. As God's talking to Israel and God's announcing his plan and he he mentions the Gentiles here and there, you see that the Gentile nations 
will come to Jesus Christ, to become followers of Christ, to become believers in Christ, to love Christ, to worship Christ, to receive his law, they do that through Israel. So God's plan always has has to reach the Gentiles with his message of salvation, but through Israel. You see, first Israel was to be reconciled to the Lord. That's why God said, first you're going to go to Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria, because I want Israel saved. Israel. Israel is reconciled first, and then we go out to the utmost of the earth. Then the nations, then the Gentiles. Then the Gentiles are called to salvation under and through the nation of Israel, with Israel being the the head of the nations. Okay, I mentioned this passage last week, and I'm gonna I'm gonna run out of time. I know I am, but there's so much to say about this. There's so much messed up in the world today. Isaiah chapter two, one to four, and there's so much messed up because because and I lay it at the feet of the pulpit, lay it at the feet of the pastors. You know, lay it at the feet of the of the leaders in, in Christianity today. They've, they've stepped aside from the Word of God, and they don't want to preach the book. They don't want to study the book, and the, the, the churches don't want pastors that are theologians. Churches want pastors who are CEOs and counselors and program administrators. Folks, it's pathetic. We need Bible. We need Bible. Just simple theology 101, just basic fundamental Bible. Okay, Isaiah 2, verses 1 to 4. Isaiah chapter 2, verses 1 to 4. This is where we see an example of this. God's plan is to save Israel, to reconcile Israel with himself, to restore the nation as the head of all the other nations. And then after that, the Gentiles under the nation of Israel will be saved. They'll come to Christ. Look, Isaiah chapter 2, verses 1 to 4. Isaiah chapter 2. Verse 1, the word that, that Isaiah, the son of Amos, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. And it shall come to pass in the last days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established in the top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills, and all nations shall flow into it. And many people shall go and say, Come ye, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, Jacob, who is called Israel, to Israel, and he will teach us of his ways, and we will walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem, and he shall judge among the nations, and shall rebuke many people, and they shall beat their plow, plow, or they shall beat their swords into plowshares, and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war any more. And so, folks, when we get to the end of the Gospels, it's not the beginning. Okay, I just. There's no way we're going to get through this in an hour. I mean, seriously, I just opened up another can of worms. The Great Commission is not the beginning. The Great Commission is the end. Do you see that? Because as you read through the Old Testament, God gave Israel multiple covenants of promise. The Abrahamic covenant that promised them a physical uh, descendants, it promised them a king, it promised them the, the, the land over there in the Middle East, it promised them blessing. And then he gave them the Mosaic covenant, okay, in the law. 
After that, within the Mosaic Covenant, we have the Palestinian Covenant that established the conditions to participate in the new life, the eternal life in the land and in the kingdom he promised in the Abrahamic Covenant. That's the people, gives them the conditions, repentance and faith. It's basically repentance and and devotion to God. It's a conversion. So that's a Palestinian covenant. Covenant's a promise. And then you get to the Davidic covenant, where God says to David, your son's going to sit upon an eternal throne and have an eternal kingdom over Israel. Israel's going to be the head of the nations with an eternal king, the son of David. Of course, that's Jesus Christ. And then we get to the new covenant, and you see in the new covenant the provision for life in the land under the, the, the king, the son of David, in his kingdom. And so in the Gospels, Jesus Christ shows up. He's the king of David, or he's the son of David. He's the king of Israel. He is the one who has fulfilled not only the Abrahamic covenant, the Mosaic covenant, the Palestinian covenant, the Davidic covenant. He's the one that's going to give us the fulfillment and the provision in the new covenant, Right? And so he dies, he's, he, he, he dies for the sins of the world, okay, he's, he's buried, he, he rose again the third day, he comes up out of the grave, and his disciples are looking at him, the resurrected Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of David. And they know the prophecies, they know the, the, the 70 weeks of Daniel, they know that there's just one week left, and they're like, man, seven years, and this thing is done. It's the end not the beginning. And so Jesus Christ tells them, take the gospel of the kingdom and go preach to Jerusalem first, because Jerusalem's the capital city, and they need to repent and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ according to the Palestinian covenant so that they can receive life in the land and the kingdom under Jesus. And then after Jerusalem, go to Judea, because all of the Jews need to hear because the Jews need to get saved first. Then go to Samaria, which was that, that, uh, that people that was mixed, half Jew, half Gentile. Because still, all the Jews need to hear, to repent, and then take that message out to the uttermost, to the Gentiles, so they can be saved again, so that they can be saved through Israel. Through Israel. It's not the beginning. It's the end. It's it's the end, it's the culmination of all the promises that were given through the covenants. And that's the essence of the Great Commission at the end of the Gospels. But what happened? What happened was Israel's rejection of Jesus as the fulfillment of the, the Davidic covenant, rejected him as king, rejected him as Messiah, rejected him as who he was, Lord and Savior. And so with that rejection, God puts on hold his covenanted kingdom program with Israel to raise up the church among the Gentiles. But don't miss the point. The point is that this, this is the essence of the Great Commission at the end of the Gospels. When, when when, When Israel rejected the preaching of the, the, the 12 apostles in the first part of the book of Acts, and they refused to repent, God put his nation aside for a time. That's what Paul says in Romans chapter 11 when he says the natural branches were cut off. He puts them aside for a time, and God takes that salvation, Acts 28, 28, the salvation that he had planned to give Israel in the new covenant and to give the Gentiles through Israel 
under the new covenant. He takes that salvation and he, he, he sends it directly to the Gentile nations through the Apostle Paul. Now, the branches of the wild olive tree have been grafted in. Now, the Gentiles don't have to go through Israel for salvation. Now, the Gentiles can experience salvation directly with God through Jesus Christ. And so... That's the essence of the Great Commission at the end of the Gospels, and that, folks, is why Paul never gave us a new Great Commission. He didn't have to. You know, the general commission, go and preach the Gospel, go and preach the Gospel, go and preach the Gospel. It's what we see in in the Great Commission passages at the end of the Gospels, the beginning of Acts. It's what we see in Romans chapter 10. Go and preach the Gospel. It's what we see in 2 Corinthians 5, 18-20. Go preach the Gospel. It's the same thing. Paul didn't have to repeat it. It's the same Great Commission because the Great Commission is the principal and primary responsibility of the stewardship of those who have received salvation that God provided through the New Covenant. There is a change, however, in the Great Commission, and the change is in the content of the preaching. We don't preach the same thing that God, the, the, the apostles preached. We preach a different gospel. Yes, I just said that. I know somebody just turned me off. Somebody said, oh, that guy's a heretic. He's anathema. Galatians chapter 1, he said another gospel. Um, look, when the when the 12 apostles go out in the first part of the book of Acts, God has still not revealed the mystery of the body of Christ through Paul because Paul's not saved until Acts chapter 9. So in Acts chapter 3, listen to what Peter preaches to the Jews in Jerusalem. Okay, Peter is preaching. Context. Cumulative context. Peter knows nothing of the coming church age. He knows nothing of the coming body of Christ among the Gentiles at this time. He does later, not in Acts chapter 3. In Acts chapter 3, what he knows is Jesus Christ is the son of David. He died, he rose again, and we got seven more years until the, the, the consummation of this whole thing is done. And so he is preaching a gospel of the kingdom to Israel. Acts chapter 3, verses 19 to 21. Acts chapter 3.19, the Bible says, Peter preaching to the, to the Jews, Repent ye therefore, and be converted. That word converted, that comes from Deuteronomy 30, the Palestinian covenant, where the, the, uh, the conditions for salvation are established. Repent ye therefore, and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out, when the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. And he shall send Jesus Christ which before was preached unto you. You see, Peter is not preaching the gospel of the grace of God based on the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ in a church age among the Gentiles for for 2,000 years. Peter is preaching the immediate return of the Lord Jesus Christ because he knows there's only seven years left in God's plan according to Daniel chapter 9 and and Daniel's 70-week prophecy. So he's preaching the kingdom. He's saying, repent, Palestinian covenant. Repent, the times of refreshing shall come. What times of refreshing? What we call the millennium, the Davidic kingdom, the messianic kingdom, because it's the Messiah who sits on David's eternal throne and reigns over David's eternal kingdom. He's preaching the kingdom. And he says that that if you repent, he shall send Jesus Christ 
whom the heaven must receive until the times of uh, times of restitution of all things, which God had spoken by the mouth of all his holy prophets since the world began. That's the gospel that, that the Jews, that the, these apostles are preaching in Jerusalem in the first part of the book of Acts. They're not preaching what Paul preached. Paul's gospel is, is defined pretty clearly, very generally, but pretty clearly in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 1 to 4. During the church age, we preach the gospel of the grace of God. And Paul describes and defines his gospel in 1 Corinthians 15, 1 to 4. He says, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you. See, it's not the same gospel that Peter preached to the Jews. Paul's preaching a different gospel. I said it again, didn't I? Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also ye have received, and wherein ye stand, by which also ye are saved. If ye keep in, my, if ye keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless ye have believed in vain. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received. And here he, here he goes. He's going to define the gospel. How that Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried and that he rose again the third day, according to the Scriptures. That's the gospel of the grace of God. It's based on the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord, Lord Jesus Christ. It's, it's, it's God's grace given to us through the substitutionary sacrifice of Jesus Christ. You know, the wages of sin is death. And so Jesus Christ died for the sins of every man. He rose again as proof positive that he paid that debt in full. Because if the wages of sin is death, and death could not hold Jesus Christ in the grave, that means Jesus Christ paid the debt in full. So we have the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ as the gospel message we preach. It's a substitutionary sacrifice of Jesus Christ for the sins of the world. See, that's the gospel of the grace of God. Now, now let's look at Galatians, because I mentioned a different gospel now two times. And Paul speaks in, in Galatians 1, verses 6 to 9. And he says, it's, if anybody preaches a different gospel, let him be anathema, okay? Let him be cursed. Listen to what Paul says. Galatians chapter 1, verse 6, I marvel that ye are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel. There it is. Which is not another, but there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ, but that we or an angel from heaven, preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. As we, have, as we said before, so say I now again, if any man preach another, any other gospel unto you than that ye have received, let him be accursed. So Paul's not saying that there's only one gospel. Paul's saying that if you receive another gospel other than the one he preached unto us, that's bad. Okay, there were people in Paul's day that were still preaching the gospel of the kingdom based on the covenants of promise that God gave to Israel. That's why you have this whole big problem in Galatians about um, circumcision and keeping the law. It's because the Jews, they understood God's kingdom program that he laid out in the covenants of promise. Abrahamic, Mosaic, Palestinian, Davidic, New Covenant, they said, hey, we got to keep the Mosaic law. And Paul says, no, 
God gave me new revelation because God's doing something different among the Gentiles. He has stopped, for the time being, his kingdom program with Israel. He's put it on hold, and now he's got something new going on among the Gentiles. That's what's going on. So God sets aside Israel for a time, and he dispenses a new stewardship to a new steward, Paul, and the body of Christ. And that stewardship is to take the gospel directly to the Gentiles, okay? Not to the Gentiles through Israel, like Peter and and the rest of them were doing. No, God takes Paul, raises him up, and sends him out. And then Paul explains it in Romans 11 with the metaphor of the uh, olive trees. He says, God took the natural branches, Israel, he cut them off, okay, for a time, because he's going to put them back in here soon. And then he takes the wild olive branches, the Gentiles, us, he grafts us in directly. So we've been grafted in directly to this tree, to the root of of blessing, which is the Abrahamic covenant. And he says, look, Gentiles have access now to salvation directly, not through Israel. And so I've got some plans to talk a little bit more about this talking about the, uh, this, this context, and context that comes through the progressive revelation of Scripture, the cumulative context of Scripture. But w- what we need to understand right now is, and I don't think it's too difficult to see if we would just think chronologically, since that's the way God gave his, his revelation, progressively. It's that big chunk of revelation that came through Paul, that wasn't available when the Great Commission was given. And so we should not read back into the Great Commission at the end of the Gospels what was later given through Paul. It's an anachronistic error, okay? And every, it seems like everybody does it, okay? However, with that in mind, we need to understand, and I think it's sufficient for our study here today in the, in the context of our goals in evangelism, to understand that the Great Commission, in a general sense, is just go and preach the gospel, okay? And it's, it's applicable today, because the salvation that we have received is the salvation that God provided through the New Covenant. And even though we have not received the new covenant, that new covenant is for Israel and Israel only, because we have received the salvation that was made available through the new covenant, we have received the primary responsibility of the stewardship that comes with the new covenant. And the primary responsibility is go and preach the gospel. What we need to understand is, that when we go and preach the gospel, we go and preach the gospel that Paul preached, the gospel of the grace of God. We do not preach the gospel of the kingdom. That's the gospel of John the Baptist, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the gospel of the twelve apostles. You know, when John the Baptist showed up on the scene, what were the first words that came out of his mouth? What was his message? Repent, the kingdom is at hand. Jesus Christ shows up right after him, and what does he preach? Repent, for the kingdom is at hand. When he sends out his 12 apostles uh, in the Gospels and in the first part of the book of Acts, what are they preaching? Repent, for the kingdom is at hand, okay? It's the gospel of the kingdom, but we don't preach that gospel because the kingdom has been postponed. God's kingdom program has been put on hold because of Israel's rebellion and disobedience. And so God is taking the salvation that he promised Israel, 
And he has, he has sent that salvation directly out to the Gentiles through the Apostle Paul and now through us as secondary stewards following Paul's example. Be followers of me as I am of Christ. And so we take that gospel out to the Gentiles so that God can use that to provoke his people to jealousy and bring them to repentance and conversion and reconciliation. That'll happen ultimately, obviously, during the time of Jacob's trouble, the tribulation, Daniel's 70th week, the future tribulation period. But what we need to understand is, today we've received the Great Commission in a general sense, go and preach the gospel. The only thing that's changed is the content of the preaching. We don't preach the, the gospel of the kingdom, we preach the gospel of the grace of God, just like Paul. So with that in mind, with that in mind, let's think about what God has told us to do in the great commission that we have received. Go and preach the gospel to every creature. And so our first goal is go. We have to go. That is the first imperative in the, in the great commission passages. When you look at Matthew 28, 19, go. He says, go and teach all nations. You've got to go and communicate something. And then he says in, in Mark 16, 15, one of my favorite Great Commission passages, just because it's so succinct, go into all the world, preach the gospel to every creature. Okay? So we got to go. Look, if we don't go out and sow the seed, how are we ever going to see any fruit in the field God gave us? You know, if we're not sowing seed... We're never going to see God give the increase, and we're not going to sow seed sitting in the barn, right? I mean, let's just let's grab the metaphor and use it. God uses this metaphor of, of sowing seed. He says the seed is the, the word, the word of the kingdom or the word of God. It's the, it's the word of the gospel, and we're the, the sowers of the seed, you know, the parable of the sower or the parable of the soils, however you want to coin it. And we're to take that seed and go out and just scatter that seed everywhere. Well, if we're sitting in the in the barn, if we're just sitting in, in, in the church and we never go out into the field, we'll never sow the seed, we'll never fulfill the Great Commission. Okay, so we need to go out to where the sinners are. Okay, if we're going to sow the seed of the gospel in the heart of the sinners, we have to go out to the sinners. I, I love that illustration that Ray Comfort gives in some of his teachings. You know, he says, it's foolish, it's, it's, it's foolish to think that sinners will come to a church. He says, thinking that sinners are going to come to the church to get saved is like thinking that criminals are just going to show up at the police station to be arrested. That's it. Okay, we need to go. Okay, we need to go. And that, again, again, it's Romans 10, 13 to 17. You know, how are they going to believe unless they hear? And how are they going to hear unless we preach? And how are we going to preach unless we're sent? And we just saw that we have been sent in the Great Commission. Go and preach the gospel. And so we are sent, like we saw before, John 20, 21. We're sent just like Jesus was sent with the same commission. He says, as the Father has sent me, so send I you. And the Father sent Jesus Christ from the comfort of heaven down to this mess of a sin-filled, cursed world. Okay, it was uncomfortable. And he came into this world to do what? Luke 19.10, seek 
and save that which was lost. That's what Paul says in 1 Timothy 1.15, that Jesus Christ came into this world to save sinners. And so, likewise, we have been sent like Jesus Christ, okay? We have been sent. We have been sent from the, the, the comfort of our homes, from the comfort of our churches to go outside the four walls of our buildings, out into the highways and the byways, to become un, to be uncomfortable, if that's what it takes, to go out and be among people who need the gospel. So God expects us to go, and he expects us to go intentionally. And let me speak about this just very, very briefly, because I know, obviously, we need to be talking to people daily um, about the gospel. Our friends, uh, people we work with, um, people in the grocery store or standing in line somewhere, our family members. And I'm not, I, you know, I'll mention this because it's, an, it's obvious but I am not an example of anyone who is good at this at all. If you want a good example, I would say go go learn from Mark Cahill. Go go learn from guys like that. Um, Sean Holes, the, the great guys, very personable, can strike up a conversation with anybody. I'm not, okay? I'm not good at that. However, that's an expectation that that God has for us. We need to evangelize people we come in contact with, okay? If we can, if we have the opportunity, okay? And and also, uh, we need to evangelize in our church services. I mean, so there's some churches that are bigger than others, and, and Paul says in 1 Corinthians 14, you know, in the context of tongues, you know, sometimes lost people come into churches, and so we need to be about the gospel. So there's always an opportunity to preach the gospel in a, in, a, in a sermon on a Sunday, and that's great. So we need to be preaching the gospel in our churches. We need to be preaching the gospel as we are going throughout this world in our normal lives. But folks, look, there is no way by just doing that, there is no way we will ever fulfill the Great Commission to go and preach the gospel to every creature, every creature. If we are not intentional about going, we will never fulfill the Great Commission. Okay, We have to go out. We have to go door to door. We have to go out. We have to preach on the street. We have to go out to where the sinners are. We have to find some way to reach every creature with the gospel. We have to be intentional about going. So that's one of the reasons why God has given us this goal in our evangelism to go. That's why he told us very specifically, go, 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 go. He says that's the first one, go. Because he knew that we're lazy. He knew that we like the comforts of our homes and our local churches where we can just sit down and, and hear good preaching and be around fellowship and we don't have to go out and get dirty out on the streets. So the first thing he told us, he didn't just tell us, hey, preach the gospel to every creature. Because implicit in that is going, right? If I told you, go, if I told you, preach the gospel to every creature, you're like, yeah, okay, I got to get out there and find every creature. But God, in, in redundancy for emphasis, says, go and preach the gospel to every creature. We got to get out there. Okay, we got to get out there. That's one of our, that's one of the goals he gave us. You know, we got to get out in our city, go to Jerusalem. We got to get out to our our counties in Judea, Samaria, and then we got to start working our countries and, and other cultures to, you know, to the ends of the earth, like it says in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. And so this is what God expects of us to go. It is a command. It, it's, it's an imperative. And because of that, we're going to be judged 
for having done that or not. God wants us to go out into the world. God wants us to go out to places where they're sinners. And God expects us to do that intentionally, okay? But, okay, here's our second goal. Because once we get out there among the, the, the lost, once we get out there among the sinners, we've, we, we go, we, we find sinners, and then what? Do we buy them lunch? Do we give them a bottle of water? Uh, do we give them some barbecue? Do we do an ice cream social? Um, you know, do we hold up a sign that says free hogs? I mean, what do we do when we get out there? Okay, obviously, let's go and preach. Okay, go and preach the gospel to the lost. We need to go and preach. Now, a couple of things to say here. Remember, please remember, um, I'm not just talking about street preaching. I'm not just talking about confrontational evangelism. I'm talking about the, the, the authoritative communication of the gospel in whatever, whatever context. If that's through a gospel tract, if that's through a, um, an amicable conversation with somebody, if that's through whatever, we just need to communicate the gospel. That's what I mean by preach, okay? It is the authoritative communication of the gospel. Preach. And the authority comes from the Bible, from God, not from the volume of our voice, okay? Anger does not equate authority. So preaching, communication, okay? We're just communicating authoritatively, thus saith the Lord kind of deal. What we need to remember in this point, and what I, I mean, I don't know how to stress this enough. It's, again, it's one of these, these silly notions that these, these people in the modern church have. Um, the power to save is in the seed, not in the sower. Seriously, if you take a bucket of seed and you go walk around your lawn and you throw that seed all over your lawn, I don't care what seed it is, you're likely going to have some new plants come springtime, right? And But if you walk around, now think about this, you walk around your lawn and you sow that seed crying tears of love and crying tears of compassion, oh, I want watermelons and cantaloupes so much, and I'm going to sow seeds so I can have watermelons and cantaloupes, and you cry, and you cry, and you sow the seed with tears of compassion. You think you're going to have watermelons and cantaloupes? Sure. But if you go out there and stomp around with the big bad attitude, because I don't want to do this, and you throw some seed here and throw some seed there, and all I want to do is get back inside so I can watch my Netflix and eat my popcorn and have some chicken, what? You think seed's going to grow? Yeah. Yeah, seed's going to grow. I don't think seed cares about your bad attitude. You see, the power to save is in the seed, not the sower. Now, what I'm going to say here isn't licensed to be a jerk. However, it is a wake-up call to say, hey, folks, the power to save is in the gospel, not in a saved sinner. You're a mess, okay? You're a train wreck. Maybe you're still on the tracks, but you're a train wreck waiting to happen. That's your life. Hey, I'm sorry. You're not perfect. You're far from it. You know how I know? Because no sin has taken you such as not as common to man. I'm the same way. We're all trying to follow Jesus Christ. We try and we fail. We try and we fail. We try and we fail. Yes, you are a failure. Jesus Christ is the success in our lives. 
Jesus Christ is the Savior. Jesus Christ is the one who cleans us up. If you want a religion that places the power to save in the sower and not in the seed, go be a Mormon. Mormons are some of the best people on this earth. They're nice. They're clean. They're clean cut. They're courteous. They're, they're just wonderful people. They're just nice. I, they're lovely to be around, okay? They preach a gospel that'll, that'll lead you straight to hell. But what they do is peddle their religion by saying, hey, look at us. Look at what good things we have. Look at what good life we have. Now come be like us. And they have a religion where the power is in the sower and not in the seed. Well, we have power in the seed. And what we say is, hey, look at me. Look at me. I'm a train wreck, just like you. But Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ died for me. He died for you, and he's willing to save you. You can be accepted by God in the beloved if you repent and believe on him. The power is in the seed. It's in the gospel. It's not in the sower. The sower is a train wreck. Come on, seriously. So don't take this as a license to be a jerk. Just take this as a reality check, okay? Especially in our days of relevance, okay? Oh, we need relational evangelism. We need friendship evangelism. I mean, you read a book by Bill Hybels that says you have to earn the right to speak the gospel to a lost person. I'm sorry, Jesus Christ is still Lord and King. He sits on the right hand. He's the Son of God, and he told me, go and preach the gospel. I don't need to earn anybody's right to preach the gospel. I am under an obligation to my Creator, Lord, and King of Kings to preach the gospel. And so Philippians chapter 1. In Philippians chapter 1, we see where Paul lays out the fact that it just doesn't matter. The motives, the attitude of the preacher of the gospel, it doesn't matter. It's not as important as the preaching of the gospel itself. Philippians 1.14 to 18. Philippians 1.14, and many of the brethren in the Lord, Paul says, waxing confident by my bonds, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ, even of envy and strife and some also of goodwill. The one preached Christ of contention, not sincerely, supposing to add affliction to my bonds, but the other of love, knowing that I am set for the defense of the gospel. What then? Notwithstanding every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached, and I therein, and therein do, sorry, and I therein do rejoice, yea, and will rejoice. You know, Paul says, look, there were some people out there emboldened to preach Christ of envy and strife, and their goal in preaching Christ of envy and strife was to, to, to build contention. They were being contentious and to add affliction to Paul. They did it in spite. They did it out of spite. They wanted to be jerks about it. And then there were the others who were preaching Christ of goodwill because of love. They loved God, and they, they loved other people, and they went out and preached the gospel. And you know what Paul said? He says, whoo, I'm glad they's preaching the gospel, every last one of them. That's it. He says, look, I'm going to rejoice because Christ has preached one way or the other, out of, out of contention or out of love, Jesus Christ has preached, and the power to save is in the gospel. 
not in the preacher. Romans chapter 1, verses 15 and 16, Paul says, Romans 1, 15, So as much as is in me is, I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are in Rome also. It says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God, the gospel of Christ, it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. You know, it's, it's, it's the gospel. The gospel is the power of God. The message of the gospel is the power of God. It's not you, it's not your clean life, it's not your good haircut, it's not your minty, fresh breath. It's, it's, it's the gospel we preach. And so, again, it's not a license to be a jerk, but it is a reality check to say we need to go and preach the gospel even when, even when people would say, ooh, ooh, wow, that's, that's rough. You know, a lot of people, they don't like Reuben Israel. Google Reuben Israel, street preacher. And, and he's very direct, very confrontational. But according to this passage in Philippians 1.14 to 18, because Christ is preached you can rejoice even though you might not like his methods. And I'm not saying you have to like his methods. Maybe I do, maybe I don't. It doesn't matter. If he's preaching Jesus Christ, the power to save is in the gospel message. Let's rejoice that somebody's out there preaching Christ. It's like 1 Corinthians 1.18 and 21. Again, 1 Corinthians 1.18, Paul says, For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved, it's the power of God. You see, it's the preaching. The power is in the preaching because the power is in the gospel. The power to save is in the seed, not in the sower. Verse 21 says, For after that, in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. That's God's method. It's his ordained method of getting the gospel out. You preach it. You communicate it authoritatively. And so the power to save is in the seed, not in the sower. Did I say that enough? Should I say it again? You know, the sower, he just goes out and sows the seed. And yeah, you know, there's times when I go out and, and, you know, we can sow the seed and you have compassion on people. You look upon people and you go, man, so many people just so angry with God and so many people so lifted up in their foolish, haughty, willful ignorance, and you want them to be saved. You know, you look into the eyes of people that you know, your friends, your family, you think, Wow, they are they're they're so lost and they're going to die and go to hell or they're going to be left behind in the rapture and your heart breaks for them and you could preach the gospel with love but sometimes you go out there and man they go right up your nose. You're like, "Woo, man. They're just irritating me to no end, you know?" And you don't want to preach the gospel to them. You're like, "You know what? If y'all want to go to hell, just go to hell. I'm going to go home watch Netflix, right?" Well, God says, "Look, that's not the point." whether I feel love and compassion for people or whether I'm just totally irritated with them in my, my self-absorption and my selfishness and my lack of compassion and lack of love, it doesn't matter because what matters is my submission to my Lord and my obedience to the command to go and preach the gospel to every creature. Just look at Paul. When we look at Paul, Paul is the, the primary steward of the stewardship given to the church during the church age, we are called to, to follow Paul as he followed Christ. And when God called Paul in, in Acts chapter 9, okay, I'm not going to read all the verses. They're very familiar. I'll refer to them, okay? In Paul's salvation experience, 
You know, God called him and he says, I've called that man, Paul, to take my name before the Gentiles, before kings, and before the the children of Israel. God says, I want Paul to go and take my name to them. I want Paul to go and preach Christ. I want Paul to go and testify, to witness to them. That's how Paul's testimony is given in Acts chapter 23. In verse 11, Paul says, look, God sent me. I'm to testify to Jews in Jerusalem, and I'm to testify to Jews in Rome. God wanted Paul to go and preach, to speak, to testify, to witness to each and every creature he could. And that's what we see at the beginning of the missionary journeys, you know, this, this new thing that God started with Paul. Acts chapter 13, verses 1 to 5, you know, the, the leadership structure in the church of Antioch, where we're praying, and, and God says, hey, set apart Paul and Barnabas for the work to which I've called them. And then he sends them out in, in Acts 13, verse 5. They go out to announce and preach the word of God. He goes to the synagogues. He goes to the, to the, um, to the plazas. He goes out in the public and from door to door. And he goes out and he preaches the gospel. And so that's why when Paul says, be followers of me as I am of Jesus Christ, 1 Corinthians 1.11. That's where we need to be. That's what we need to be doing. One of the first churches um, Paul wrote to was a church of the Thessalonians, and they, they're a great example for us, and I do want to read this passage, 1 Thessalonians 1, 5 to 8. I mean, I, I don't know if it gets any clearer than this. This is just, it's just, I mean, like, like Ruckman says, I mean, it comes right across the plate waist high. I mean, you can take a poke at it if you want. It's easy. You can knock it out of the park if you want to take a swing at it. It's easy to see. It's like theology 101. It's basic. It's fundamental. 1 Thessalonians 1.5, Paul says, For our gospel came not unto you in word only, but also in power, and in the Holy Ghost, and in much assurance, as ye know what manner of men we were among you for your sake. Now Paul says, And ye became followers of us and of the Lord. That's 1 Corinthians 1.11. You became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction, with joy of the Holy Ghost so that ye were in samples to all that believe in Macedonia and Achaia. For from you sounded out the word of the Lord, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place your faith to Godward is spread abroad, so that we need not to speak anything. You see, the Thessalonians received the the word of the gospel, this message that Paul was preaching. And they took that word and they sounded it out in Macedonia, Achaia, and the region roundabout. So Paul says, they nothing else for me to do. You did it all. Um... I don't know. Where are you at, man? Where are you at with your local church? I, uh... We'll finish this up here in just a minute, seriously. But but let me say this. You know, why, folks, why? Why can't we be intentional in going and preaching the gospel to every creature through the structure of our local churches? You know, it's not an easy thing. You see these street preachers, they're out on a street corner. It's not an easy thing for an individual to go out and preach the gospel like that. It's not. It's an easy thing to organize 
a local church behind a vision to reach every creature in your city, your town, your county, your state. Look, when I got back, when I got back from the mission field in 2011, I started a church, Harvest Baptist Church, and I was a pastor of that church for three years. And when we started that church, I came up from Latin America with, with ideas of how we can intentionally go and preach the gospel to every creature, how we can intentionally evangelize. And I tried to do up here in the United States with what I did down in Latin America, which is go out on the streets, you preach the gospel, and you go door to door, and you, you put gospel tracts on, on doors. We call them door hangers. Well, no sooner had I done one day's worth of door hangers that I got phone calls and letters telling me that it's against the law to hang a gospel track on somebody's door on their house. And sure enough, where I live in Johnson County, in in several of the municipalities in the city where I live, it is illegal, it is against the law, they call it solicitation, and they they legislatively define solicitation as various things, and one of those things is hanging propaganda on somebody's doorknob. You can get fined or put in jail for hanging a gospel track on somebody's doorknob. So as the church, as Harvest Baptist Church, we put our heads together and said, okay, we want to reach every creature in Johnson County. How can we do that? Well, in the United States, unlike Latin America, in the United States, we still have a fairly well-developed mail system. And there's this thing that the United States Postal Service has called Every Door Direct Mail, E-D-D-M, Every Door Direct Mail. And so we purchased mailers, which are like their large postcards, large. I mean, they were like nine or 10 inches long and four or five inches tall. There's a lot of real estate. We put the gospel on that. And we sent every door direct mailers to every household in Johnson County, at least Southern Johnson County, twice. I don't know how many we passed out. I don't know how many we mailed out. Maybe half a million, maybe a million. I mean, there was a bunch. So I've still got, I've still got boxes of door hangers that I can't give out. But we sent out thousands and thousands and thousands of gospel tracts to each and every house. We sent at least one to every household in Southern Johnson County. You know, I mean, as a local church, we were 20 or 30 people. 20 or 30 people did that. It didn't take all of our money. We still had money in the bank, folks. What it takes is pastors with vision for the Great Commission. When the Great Commission says, go and preach the gospel to every creature, we need to sit down in a room together and say, okay, how are we going to do that this year? Where can we go and preach? How can we pass out tracts? Can we use the mail system? What can we do to reach every creature with the gospel of Jesus Christ? Folks, it's not that hard. It's not that hard. But we don't want to do it. Why? Because we bought into this modern philosophy of the modern church. And we've gotten soft and apathetic and indifferent. And we need to repent and believe that the power to save is in the seed and not in the sower. And go out and sow some seed. So look, we're called to go and preach. We're called to get out into the field and sow the seed. We need to be out in the field where there's lost people, and we need to sow the seed of that gospel, passing out tracts, talking to people, preaching, witnessing. 
That's God's, that's God's command. That's God's ordained method of saving the lost is through the preaching of the gospel. How will they call upon him in whom they have not believed? And how will they believe in whom they have not heard? How will they hear unless we preach? And how are they going to preach unless they're sent? And the Great Commission says we were sent. So when we get out there, folks, we need to preach the gospel biblically. Okay, now this is just a plug for some practical application of a biblical gospel. We need to preach the law of God so that people understand the justice of God. We announce God's law so that people know they have broken that law and they're guilty before God and judgment's coming. That's 1 Timothy 1, 8-11. God talks about the legitimate use of the law of God. The legitimate use. And then we need to present a biblical gospel by, by talking about the love of God, the grace of God, that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Yes, the sinner is condemned. Yes, the sinner is facing judgment. Yes, the sinner is going to bust hell wide open. But God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And God so loved the world that he provided salvation through Jesus Christ. And we announce the love of God, the grace of God, to provoke this desire in the condemned sinner to be saved through Jesus Christ. And then we need to preach the biblical gospel by preaching and announcing a clear call to repent of sin and turn and trust in Jesus Christ. That's what Paul did. Acts chapter 20, verses 20 and 21, Paul preached repentance. Paul preached faith. He says, repentance toward God and faith in our, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's what we need to be about. And folks, that's all about us. That's, that's us. That's that's. That's the, the commission we have been given. That's what Paul says when he talks about us being ambassadors for the Lord Jesus Christ. He has said we, are, we have been reconciled with God, and those of us who have been reconciled have been given the ministry of reconciliation, that we should go and preach the word of reconciliation to the world. That's our mission. So how are we doing? You know, there's, there's the question of application. How are we doing? You know, I think most of us individually would really, really like to do better. And I'm sorry, I still lay the blame for not doing better at the feet of pastors and pulpits in Christian churches today. Local churches are not intentionally evangelizing every creature in their, in their cities, in their towns, in their country. We're just, we're not doing it. We've sold out. We're not intentionally fulfilling the Great Commission. You know, that's, that's just so often I come back, and I'm not saying, I, you know, I mean, we need churches. We need biblical churches. We need churches that are dedicated to teaching and preaching the Word of God and, and intentionally reaching the lost with the gospel. That needs to be the spearhead of the mission of a local church. We are here to fulfill the Great Commission, to go and preach the gospel. Now, here's, here's a little bit of homework. Here's where I'm going to stop for today. We got a little bit more to look at in, in relation to our, our call to preach the gospel. I want to touch on this in our, in our next episode, but I'll leave you with this. Take the book of Acts. Take your, your, your personal time, your reading time, your time alone with God, your quiet time, whatever you call that, your daily time in the Word and prayer, and prayerfully read through the book of Acts. And I just want you to do a quick, brief survey of Acts and mark or write down or note every passage that deals with going and preaching the gospel. 
the write down mark every passage that deals with somebody in some way being intentional about speaking the gospel, communicating the gospel to another person. I've got a list. It's four pages long in the notes that I am looking at right here when I'm talking to you. Four pages long of references in the book of Acts where where believers boldly go out among the, the, the lost, like Peter on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, he goes out among the lost and he announces the gospel, he preaches the gospel out in the open air. Paul, as he goes forth in his, his three different missionary journeys, Paul with his desires, you know, you could mark every time Paul says, dude, I, I want to stay here, but I got to get to Jerusalem. I got to get to Jerusalem. It's the day of Pentecost. I got to get to Jerusalem. Why did he want to get to Jerusalem for the day of Pentecost? Because Pentecost, according to Deuteronomy 16, 16, was one of the three annual feasts when all of the male Jews were required to be in Jerusalem for the celebration. He says, if I can get to Jerusalem for the day of Pentecost, I know I'm going to have a bunch of people I can preach to. Wow. Would to God we were like that. And all the way up to the end, all the way up to the end of the book of Acts. Just read the book of Acts, mark it, look at it, uh, make some notes about what what happens in the book of Acts with the preaching of the gospel and the, the, the great commission in a general sense to go and preach the gospel to every creature. And then go, go thou and do likewise. What else is there to do? Go thou and do likewise. Preach and teach the gospel. Announce the gospel. It's just that simple. We need to get out into the field and sow the seed. We need to go and preach the gospel. So thanks for listening. If you've made it this far, I appreciate it. I'd invite you back for the next, uh, next episode where we're going to finish. We're going to finish up, I promise. We'll finish up this lesson on the goals of evangelism. And we're going to, like I said, we're going to touch on this, this aspect of preaching, we're going to talk about it again, we're going, to, we're going to tie up some loose ends, and then we're going to get into prayer. How does prayer fit into this aspect of go and preach the gospel? See, if, if, if we only have two goals, go and preach the gospel, then what? We shouldn't pray? How does prayer fit into this? And I think you'll see, because if you followed along in this, 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 these two lessons, these two episodes— once we finish it up and tie up our loose ends in the next episode, then we'll have a context in which we can understand our need to pray. Because once we understand our responsibility before our God, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and our responsibility for which we will be judged at the judgment seat of Christ, I think it's going to be very easy to understand what we ought to be praying for. So come back for more here on Theology 101. Thanks and have a great day. Thanks for spending your time listening to my podcast, Theology 101. Simple is better, and it's just not that difficult to learn the Bible so we can do what it tells us. You can find the rest of my studies in English out on my website, theology101.net. And if you do Spanish, tengo más de 15 años de estudios bíblicos disponibles en mi sitio web, Teologia101.net. If you'd like to contact me, there's a contact page on my website. You're also more than welcome to visit me any Sunday that you wish. My church information is also out on my website. Remember what Nicholas von Zinzendorf always said, preach the gospel, die, be forgotten. Learn the Bible, do what it tells you.
and come back for more Theology 101.